to the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. This week's show is brought to you by Ranger Boats, still building legends one at a time. Now, here's your host, David Shong. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, brought to you by Ranger Boats. Powered by Mercury Marine with Reliant Lithium Batteries, providing the juice. I am your host, David Shung, and with me is Danny Blanford. And this week, we're just going to dive right into it. Uh, our special guest this week is an angler who just seems to be on fire, and that's current angler of the year leader of the Bassmaster Elite Series, Brandon Cobb. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Hey, thank you for having me on. All right, so Brandon, you know, you're having an awesome year so far, uh, but before we get, we get into the 2023 season, I just want to take a, a brief look back at your Elite career so far, uh, Elite Series career so far, excuse me. Um, I want to look back at least your first year, 2019, your rookie year. Uh, looking at that year, uh, uh, would you have been satisfied knowing that you end up finishing 32nd in that in the OI race that year? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was... Uh... That year was awesome and frustrating at the same time because the the 32nd was not the best in AOI, but it was a good year. I just was not consistent that year. Well, you mentioned it was good and bad. I know you had two wins that year. One on Hartwell, and then which was which was your third yeah. elite event of the year, and then another one on Lake Fork. Yeah. Two events later, um, but yeah, yep. tell us about those victories. Yeah, so those those wins. I mean, I, they were obviously that was the highlights of my career so far because winning at Hartwell at home and then winning at Lake Fork. Anytime you went at Lake Fork, you obviously caught a lot of bass, so that one was pretty fun as well. But it uh, that year was the the frustrating part of that year was I like I've kind of always prided my career being consistent, you know, top twenties, top thirties at least. And that year I won two. But then I think I finished about last in like three. So that was a weird year. That was like, uh, which obviously winning, winning is what makes your career. You, you want to be consistent, but you got to win every now and then. So that was awesome because that was my first pro level wins. And uh, that was great. But that was a frustrating year as far as consistency goes. Did fishing the elites have anything else to, to do with the results? Or was it just, did you just approach it as it's, just, it's fishing, you know? No, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, like, I've had chances to win before, just things didn't go exactly right, like, back in the FLW days and things like that, but one thing those two tournaments lined up perfect, which Hartwell was, uh, you know, I know the lake very well, but even not just being Hartwell, it seemed like when I was at FLW, we didn't have a whole lot of tournaments that were, like, perfect in my wheelhouse, like, what I like to do, and the elite caters more towards that I don't know, spawning, shallow water, like that. Just the time of year where that works, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that was, that's what, but as really the elite since I've been fishing it, we tend to have a lot that fits my strengths versus FLW. We had a lot of kind of different, different type tournaments where it might've been like clear water lakes where you're trying to finesse fish, do weird stuff. You know, it might be spawning time of year, but kind of a strange unique like ozark style lake for that where the fish didn't position the way i'm used to like normal southern lakes okay so with those first wins uh you know not just one but two besides adding hardware to your mantle um did those mm-hmm. wins do anything to you you know was it whether as an angler the mental side did, did those wins do anything for you yeah. um I, mean, I think it definitely helped like the mental side and knowing like being in that position to win i think i have a lot better chance to win again now because everything went right in those two i've back in like the flw part of my career i mean i probably had realistically like three or four real chances to win and just couldn't ever get things to go right on the final day or things like that you know like two fars wood cups i feel like i've had plenty of bites to win just things things didn't go right and I don't think it was necessarily like you know nerves or anything like that going on from being in the lead or having a chance to win it was just it it was just kind of bad like execution on the final day like felt like it was out of my control but I'm sure it was even if it feels like it's out of your control you know there's some things you could probably do better and I think winning too kind of gets you in better it, it gets you in that mindset to know you can win and if it's nothing else it's just confidence to know you can close it you know Sure. Okay. 
So moving on from 2019, we go to your sophomore year, 2020. That year, uh, no wins, uh, 41st place finish in AOI. Um, I guess the, the highlight in terms of results that year was a fourth on you followed. But uh, how did you feel about that uh, sophomore performance for you? Um, I, I actually, I can't hardly, I think that, that was, uh, yeah, that was the weird year. That was the COVID year where we fished in the fall. That, yes, that, uh, that, that's yep. when the second half, yep, the second half of the season was in the fall. I was trying to think what year that was. Yeah, that was, uh, that was kind of a new, unique year. That was, that year was very similar actually to 19. Cause I, I never won any of that year, but I think I led like th- two or three of the different tournaments in the fall and then just really didn't have enough fish to win the tournament, but had, you know, was in position to win after day two or three, but knew like it, it was just a weird fall fishing season. And, uh, I love fall fishing though. So, so I didn't complain about that year, but I, uh, I, I, that one I do actually remember, I didn't realize I did that poorly in my minded points, but 41st was, uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, um, but that, cause I remember back that fall season, I, I definitely had a chance to win a couple of tournaments. Just didn't, didn't, things didn't work out or didn't quite have enough fish, but it, uh, th- that was actually a cool season thinking back at it. I, I like the fall fishing. We don't get to do that very often as a pro tournament, you know? Yeah. Well, what was I going to say? So far, it seems like one common thing you, that you're saying so far, it keeps coming, which I'm not sure if it's going to apply for the rest of the, you know, from, uh, from uh, the next couple of seasons or not. But uh, you kept talking about not having enough fish to, you know, on like the final days and stuff like that. You know, is that, mm. is that something that, you know, I guess explain that to a lot of us because you know most the majority of the fishermen out there, you know, we fish one day, maybe two days at most for the good majority <laughs> of us. So explain that to us because how do you go in like trying to make sure that you catch enough to do well, but hopefully don't exhaust it that it ruins your uh, your chances of hopefully either getting a trophy or even doing better on championship day. Yeah, yeah, to have to win or you know have a chance to win at least it, it's kind of like. You can essentially make it to day four, uh, at least day three, usually day four off of, I'm not going to say one place, but one like whether it's a whole creek arm or whether it's like, you know, a handful of spots that you kind of fish the same places for a couple of days on most lakes. Okay. But very, very rarely can you win a tournament on days three and four catching your fish in the same places as days one and two. And with that being said, it's not, not that your spots necessarily run out of fish. I mean, there's certain lakes where they don't, you know, you see Tennessee river lakes, maybe some smallmouth lakes where you get massive schools of fish of thousands of fish in one place, which is a little different, but in your, in general, your lakes, there's not, not enough of them to be in one place. And in modern day fishing, since it's changed, I mean, this has changed during my career, really with live. It's great. It gets you a lot of coverage, but you don't want to be on live on day one or two. <laughs> catching them off the places you're playing on relying on day three and four. That's what actually lost me. One of the fall tournaments that year was I was on day one in a Creek and, uh, on day one, I was, you know, I was not on live and I was in second place. And then day two, I had a live camera because I was in second was leading the tournament by three or four pounds. And I was the only one in this entire Creek arm. And here comes day four. And this just happened to be before a five or 600 boat, like, local frog tournament on Lake Gunnersville and I go into my creek on day three and I'm, I'm not saying this contributed to all of it but there was like 30 boats in the exact stretch and area that I was fishing on the first two days and a lot of it's probably coincidence but a lot of it you have to plan for that that you have to have stuff that nobody knows about essentially on day three and four mm. it, it, it makes it it makes it, it, it adds a curveball I kind of want to jump in on that because uh, Brandon, I do quite a bit of tournament stuff myself. And if there's ever a place to park a camera boat on a day one or a day two, it's with the angler of the year, right? Because there's always a story with <laughs> yep. the ang- angler of the year. So this year, yep. uh, I, g- I got to ask, do you lay off the juice if you get a camera early? <laughs> Is that part of the strategy? Uh, so the, actually, so let's see. Santee, I had a camera early, but really didn't even know if I'd catch a bass. So I can't really answer that question. I did end up catching a few bass, but <laughs> at the time I didn't know. So Lay Lake uh, actually had a camera on first day and I had one area that I thought was a little bit better, but it was more of a junk fishing type tournament. But I did go to an area where I ended up catching a ton of fish on day one. 
and had not just a camera, but had a couple of boats following me. And I tried to go back to it on day two. And one of the boats following me was actually fishing in there and told me I should see the pictures of the fish he caught in the afternoon the day before there. <laughs> on day wow. two, I tried to go back. So <laughs> it, it is something with a little more eyes on you, a little more camera, you know, camera presence and boats following you and stuff. You kind of got to think about it, but this next next tournament, I really won't have to think about that too much because the Sabine River is a pretty freaking tough fishery, and if you think you can catch one somewhere, you better go there. Right. Yeah. No sandbag. I, I guess a lot of it depends it. on the lake. Yeah, yeah, I guess a lot of it would depend on the lake. I hadn't really, hadn't really think about that that yet, but the the thing is, like, it really doesn't. If you burn your fish on day one, like like I said, to have a chance to top five win a tournament, you've got to have more than one day of stuff anyway. So it's uh, kind of like if you burn an area where it's no good, if you don't have enough to fish on day two, three, or four, then you're probably not going to do anything anyway. Makes sense. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So just uh, one more year to look at, and we'll, we'll start looking at 2023 here. Because uh, I know it seemed like I left you, uh, I guess, in, in a bad <laughs> paint, a somewhat bad picture with uh, with 2020. But 2021, you had a definitely better year. You know, you made the day three cut for I think every single except every single event except for one. Yeah, one day four cut on Gunnersville, and you nearly missed out on another one on the Saint, on the Saint Lawrence River by four ounces. But again, with that, but that year you make it to ninth in the AOI standings. Compared to especially to 2020, 2020, were you surprised by that 2021 performance? Uh, no, that year, that year worked out pretty good. It was, uh, those Northern ones really kind of helped my year that year. Cause the Northern's kind of, I mean, if you look back at my whole career, some of the Northern ones have always been kind of the thorn, thorn in my side. And that year I, I, I did pretty well up North, which helped that AOI. I think if you look back at AOI from every year, if you take out the three Northern, I'd probably be in, you know, at least the top 20 in every one of them. And it's just <laughs> so, sometimes I tend to not do so well up there. And, uh, that year, that year we actually had a few Northern tournaments that I actually liked, like the lakes that I kind of figured them out on, or I was able to fish for largemouth in some of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it just, everything kind of played well that year, but I, I remember that year was a good year. So what was I going to say? Yeah. So I don't mean to skip 2022 because 2022 was still a pretty good year. You finished 20th in AOI, but I definitely want to focus on the, on the, on this year and the now. So, um, but the uh, beginning of this year, first event, Okeechobee, you finished third. Uh, was that an event that you were expecting to do well on? I know a lot of guys, it seems like, even if you're from Florida, just struggle on, uh, on in Florida, even, even if you're from there. So, but yeah, did you expect to do that well on Okeechobee? Yeah, so actually Okeechobee was, I had never been to Okeechobee, I think since 2016 or 17 on FLW. And the first few times I went to Okeechobee, I did horrible. But, and so I kind of had a bad, you know, when I saw Okeechobee on schedule, I was like, oh God, here we go. I I don't (laughs) like that place. But since, since I'd been to Okeechobee, I actually started enjoying Florida. Like I just hadn't been to Okeechobee, but some of the other lakes in Florida, I'd actually started doing well on whether it be Toho or Harris chain or St. John's every now and then just all those Florida lakes. I'd actually started doing pretty well, whether it's on the elites or on the tour. And I just hadn't been to Okeechobee since I, I'm not gonna say I figured it out, but since I kind of got an understanding of Florida. So when I got down to Okeechobee this year, it actually, it didn't, I, I enjoyed it more. It, it wasn't the like ominous tournament that I look forward to, you know, from earlier in the year. When I saw the schedule, I was like, oh man, that's going to be a tough one. When I got there, I kind of felt more comfortable than I thought I would because I understand that Florida fishing more so now. And it uh, turned out to be a good tournament. And it helps too. I, I travel, I, I'm, a lot of people out there follow me know I travel with Shane LeHue and somewhere like Florida, we, we kind of share a lot of our, areas and stuff we find and if we're on somewhere like Hartwell for instance it's kind of hard to share a bank or a pocket it doesn't really help you can't help each other other than maybe a pattern but in Florida it tends to work out because we can usually find one area that can sustain enough fish for both of us and that's what we did there I I found one area and he found one area and we kind of just split them and fished both of them a little bit and it worked out pretty good what did you have tied on for Okeechobee um, let's see, what did I catch them on there? I think I caught most of my fish. I caught, uh, actually, I think I caught every fish I weighed on two baits, a zoom fluke stick, like flipping, uh, pads and reeds. And then I caught a bunch on a chatterbait on, uh, 
out of like uh, shell bed type areas. Like there was some openings in the grass. And there's openings out there in the chatterbait and the other that was uh, pitching the fluke stick. All right. So I believe if I remember correctly too, I believe you go straight from Okeechobee right into Seminole. Am I correct? Because I think it was a back to back with that. We, we did. Yep. It was back to back. Yep. Okay. So it looks like, you know, you're able to remain, maintain that momentum from Okeechobee to Seminole, which is a different, you know, completely different type of fishery. Um, how were you able to, you know, achieve such a great result with such a quick turnaround from one event to the other? Yeah. So this is, this one's actually kind of interesting. The the Seminole one. So Seminole was actually probably the worst practice that I've ever had in my professional fishing career. I mean, I'm talking back to 2015, 16 when I started and uh, just didn't figure them out flat out, like just found nothing. Like was looking back at practice that night, uh, the night before the tournament, I was laying in bed before we took off. And I was like, you know what? Like I've got a places I might catch a fish or two, but I don't have anywhere that I'm going to get a check or top 10. There's no point in fishing any of it because it's terrible. Like I didn't find anything. And so I kind of knew what I wanted to fish, but I just didn't exactly find it. So I looked at Google earth. I was laying in bed, looking on my phone at Google earth at night. Like, where am I going to start looking at maps and stuff? And I found a pocket that looked right to me on the map. And I went to it and I caught three fish right off the bat that morning. Never been there before in my life. And uh, it kind of led me into a pattern that sustained me to, you know, finish, I think I finished 20th or whatever. I did okay yep. in the tournament. It's just, I was able to kind of put stuff together during the tournament as I went, but I never fished anywhere in the tournament that I fished in practice. <laughs> I kind of just, I knew the pattern I thought would be working and it didn't work in practice. And then I kind of figured it out as we went. And I also think that was due to, it was very, very cold when we first got there and then it warmed up during the week. And a lot of fish showed up in the areas I thought they should be that were not there all week in practice. Like there was actually what I wanted to do was not, you couldn't find it in practice because it wasn't happening. Mm. And uh, it just kind of materialized as the tournament went. So how, how often does that happen? Because it seems like you're talking about like fishing the moment, like things just kind of played and you just kind of made mm -hmm. the adjustments as, as it played on for you. How often does that happen to you fishing at the professional level? Um, so usually you have something like you have a place where like, I'll start here and might catch one or two, you know, <laughs> but uh, to be honest, a lot of these, the shallow water tournaments in specific, you kind of like the good ones I had anyway, I kind of put it together as I go. It's not, you might have a starting point more so than I did there, but it's kind of like you end up in an area and you're like, I'm going to run from here. Then all the way, you know, 10 miles down the lake and fish this area. But then you end up catching a few or one or two fish. And you're like, well, let me just go, you know, a mile around here and fish this spot and check it. Then let me jump to this spot. And it ends up working out some days. And that's, it, you kind of got to fish the moment and not already have your preset plan, especially shallow water fishing. I think if you're trying to fish offshore stuff, a little bit different, you know, but if you're shallow water fishing, and you have a set game plan going into the day, it usually doesn't work very well. You kind of more got to adjust as you go. And that's what's made this year so good, to be honest, is I've made the appropriate decision during the day, not necessarily the night before or even after practice, just during the day. So there's a few weeks off after Seminole, and then you head off to Knoxville for the Bassmaster Classic. How confident were you going to that event, especially since uh, at the last elite event there, you finished 22nd, even though it's slightly earlier compared to, no, it's a little bit later compared to um, the elite, I'm sorry, the classic event this time of year. Yeah, no, I, I, I look forward to that one. That lake is actually, it's Tennessee River, so it's completely, it is different than most lakes around the country, you know, and it's more of a river system, but it fishes a lot like, like a couple of our lakes around home. Like it's like a, a winter drawdown type lake, like which I'm kind of used to. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was looking forward to that one. The, the cool thing about the classic is like, is I knew there was a high probability that tournament would be one, you know, the way Gussie ended up winning it, you know, offshore using sonar to catch small mouse or fish rock, catch some large mouse, whatever. I, I knew with it being cold still, there'd be fish still out there. But the cool thing about that tournament is, is you're trying to fish that one to win it. And it doesn't really matter how you do. I, I mean, I hate to say that. It's like, it doesn't matter. And I went to that one. I said, you know, it's probably gonna be one deep, but if I'm going to win, it's going to be shallow doing what I want to do, throwing a chatterbait, throwing a crankbait, throwing a buzzbait. And that's what I went and did. And 
it was not good by any means. I think I caught about five or six a day. But it, it uh, was good enough for eighth place finish, which I was happy with. Obviously, I wanted to win, but I just don't know if there was enough fish shallow at that point in time to win. So I feel like I maximized what I didn't leave much on the table, I guess you'd say, the way I was wanting to fish. If I remember, yeah, if my memory serves me correct, I believe the water level was low. Am I correct with that? It was, yeah, it was still in winter drawdown. It hadn't really started coming up yet, which is uh, kind of, you know, makes the shallow water challenging. It just made it, it just made it fish small because there wasn't, there'd be a lot more water in creeks and things by the time, you know, in another couple of weeks. So it was still pretty far down. So the the shallow water cover was just not very abundant. <laughs> so, so for that event, because I know that you, you, I remember the, it being cold and then obviously we just talked about the water levels being down but there was a massive warm-up too so did you approach that event with the plan of trying to fish with what you're hoping things are going to be or was it just based strictly on what you found in practice and just sticking to that yeah no that one was kind of looking forward to the classic's weird because you're not practicing right immediately before the tournament you know you're kind of practicing with a few days or a week out in advance because of all the media days and things like that so yeah i looked at the warm and i knew after practice because like the early practice i was like they're not there shallow it's not i mean it's not awful but it's not great i'm like it's gonna be one deep unless things change and i looked and it was supposed to be warm every day i was like well you know there's there's a chance there's a chance some are <laughs> more are going to show up shallow and they didn't really i mean some did but it was uh still tough but that one you got to practice kind of or you don't practice weird i practice the way i want to but you do have to kind of look forward at what you think they might do just because normally you're practicing the day before the tournament and that one's what four four or five days before yeah all right. So following the classic, you know, you string together three consecutive single digit finishes on Murray, Sandy Cooper and Lay Lake. Uh, but first off, looking at the the South Carolina events, how did you feel you would do uh, in the two home state events for you? Um, well, so Murray, I felt really good about just because. I have, I, I, I'm not like a local on Murray, like I am on Hartwell. I know Hartwell much, much better, but they, it, the style of fishing during that shad, hair and spawn and bed fishing, things like that, it's pretty, pretty similar to, uh, to like Hartwell or Clark's Hill or the lakes. I fish a ton and I've spent, I mean, I, I've spent hundreds of days on Murray. It's just, it had been a really long time. So Murray, I felt really good about Santee. On the other hand, a lot of people, they all pick me on fancy and everything. Like, oh, he's got another local tournament, Santee. I know nothing about Santee. <laughs> Growing up, I never fished there. We, we'd go catfishing there occasionally, my dad and I. But the first ever bass tournament I fished there was actually the Elite Series in the fall that year in 2020. That was okay. the first ever bass tournament I'd fished there. So I'd never been there before. And then I ended up fishing that one the following year, I guess 21 or 22, whenever we went there the other time. And um, I'd spent maybe, I don't know, five days bass fishing there in my entire life. So Santee was a little... I was a little nervous about it, I guess you'd say, because Santee is one of those lakes. It's got big fish in it, but if you watch live there, I caught 20 pounds for the first three days, 20-something each day of the first three days, but yeah. you catch like five or six. If you're doing the right thing at Santee, you're catching five or six. You're not wearing them out. So it's one of those lakes where you lose two or three or just miss one or something just doesn't go perfectly right. You end up with three for 13, you know, and you're going to do so hot. Mm. And so that, that one's always a little nerve-wracking. And, uh, but I mean, it worked out, but it's definitely one I'm not familiar with. And Lay, I had never been to Lay. I, uh, I, I fished a few of the other Coosa River lakes here and there filming purposes and stuff over the years, but I'd never been to Lay. But my very favorite time of year, I don't know if I've told a lot of people this before, but my very favorite time of the year is when there's still a few fish left on bed, but majority of the fish are postponed, but haven't really gone out deep yet. That's by far my favorite week. You put me on any lake in the South that time of year, it's my favorite time to fish. And that we nailed that one about perfect for that. I mean, the fishing was terrible. Don't get me wrong. They didn't bite very good, but the fish were doing kind of everything I like to do, my very favorite style. So you talk about, you know, favorite time of year and just looking at i mean I, I don't know if i've got this particularly right but it looks like in, in a lot of the events so far in 2023 there's at least one common denominator that i see so far with what you've been using and that's a wacky rigged fluke stick tell us about that particular yep. uh, setup yeah so a fluke stick just one of those baits it's a uh, just a stick bait like it it gets a little weird um 
A lot of people don't really know what to do with it because it comes with a little tail on it, and everybody yes. looks at a stick bait. Like, That's a stick bait with a weird tail. Well, I just break the tail off of it, which I do like the tail on there for if I'm like putting it on a Texas rig or if I'm throw, cutting it half, put on an Ed rig, whatever, like that. So I like the tail for certain applications, but when I'm wacky rigging it, it uh, I like it to just, you know, no tail. I get just straight. And uh, I throw it just, just like you would, you know, a wacky stick bait, but... I think like well, the reason I love it so much this time of year is I treat it like um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. it I treat it like long range finesse flipping <laughs> is the best way to describe it. Cause when, when I'm going down the bank, I use it like, like a flipping bait, but I throw it way out ahead of me. Like anywhere I see a fish, like I think a fish might be, whether it was at Santee or Murray or lay, if there's a little clump of grass, a dock or one stick or whatever it may be, I just throw it basically to it in three to, you know, or one to five foot of water, let it sink. I don't even fish it. I'm essentially throwing it, letting it sink from one to two seconds. If nothing eats, I reel it back and do it again, but making longer casts than your typical flipping presentation. So and that's kind of like the technique I've used <laughs> quite a few of the tournaments this year. So it sounds like it's a, you're, you're making repeat casts as well, or is it kind of a, you throw uh, it once not, or twice or, and then you kind of just move on and cover more water. Yeah, just moving on coming water. I mean, like when I'm fishing, like people think of that finesse presentation, you know, it's kind of a slower presentation, but usually when I'm doing that, I've got the trolling motor on, you know, 30 to 50% moving, moving constantly, moving pretty quick and just hitting, you know, key targets with it. And you can cover way more water than you would think because you're not fishing it. You're throwing it there and if nothing has it in two seconds, you reel it back and it, 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 and it, it's like a quick, it's a quick finesse presentation. I, I know Murray, I caught quite a few fish off docks doing that, like with that presentation. And I mean, they essentially have it before you can flip the bell over on your spinning reel. So it's quick. You just, the problem is with your boat moving fast. I know quite a few fish at Murray, I got hung up around jet ski lifts and dock poles and stuff like that. Cause the boat would be moving so fast. By the time I set the hook, it would be halfway down the side of the boat <laughs> and uh, you can get yourself in some predicaments, but it's a really good shallow water. Just, just quick presentation that fish will bite about any fish will bite any size and the spawning fish like it fish eating brim like it fish up eating shad like it any anything up shallow likes it tell us about that setup that you use for that wacky rig zoom fluke stick uh it's pretty pretty simple i use um i may, actually made a rod with argus my cop series it's called the hartwell magic rod because it's the rod i won hartwell on the other year on a zoom fluke stick and I made it for that wacky setup and uh, it's just a 610 medium spinning rod. And so I've got that rod I designed for it in the Cobb series with ARC and then use 10 pound Yozuri Super Braid with a 10 pound HD Yozuri Carbon Leader. And uh, the 10, some people use 15, I like 10 because it casts a little bit better and if you ever do break a fish off, very rarely is it your braid, it's your leader that fails. So the 10 works fine for me and uh, using a new ARC spinning reel that just like a 3000 size to cast it a little bit farther, not too tiny reel, but it's a uh, it, it's pretty simple setup. Just six ten with a spin reel and ten pound test all the way through. Uh, hook any anything special with the hooks that you use, or uh, the, the, you know? Oh yeah, the hook the hook. So um, I've actually played a lot with the hooks over the years. I've kind of varied over the last seven or eight years, but the my favorite one I found is actually it's a decoy. I think it's the brand. It's a decoy like HD wacky hook, and it's got a uh, fiber weed guard kind of like a jig has rather than that little monofilament one mm, okay and it comes with like four strands so i can actually cut it make it a little thinner if i don't need it too thick or leave it you know all four strands if i skip it under a wood dock or something like that but that uh that's kind of the best hook i've found and uh, i use a one-off I, I like smaller um a lot of people use a a lot of people use bigger they use like a two-alt and a lot of people like i know shane for instance he, he likes a number two which in my opinion seems too small i like a one-alt Okay. So earlier we talked so about pretty, pretty good landing ratio. It's good to know. Yeah, I, I, I definitely with with wacky rig. I know for sure it's something that I feel like I have to get back to my. You know, and that thing it's a it's a it's a you, you know it's, some people look down on it, but it's something some it's definitely something that for me that I've got to possibly get back to because it seems like uh, I've, I've kind of lost touch with that <laughs> that that wacky rig. Stuff. It definitely yeah. does catch fish. So. No, it's a, it's a great bait. And I think it gets a bad stigma of being like a slow, you know, finesse presentation. I mean, I guess it is kind of finesse but it's not slow. Like, I fish a wacky rig 
dang near quicker than I fish a buzz bait because you have to reel a buzz bait all the way back to the boat. I just let the wacky rig sink two feet, you know? <laughs> Good to know. I, I, might, I might start adopting that, that, that particular approach going forward, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So we talked about, uh, we mentioned Sabine earlier, and that's, you know, what I think, in a week and a half from as we, as we record this show. You finished 15th the last time the elites were there. So uh, how do you mm-hmm. feel about that event? Man, I love that place. Like it, the fishing's terrible. Don't like. Uh, well, it's not terrible. That that's a bad way to describe it. If you want to catch a five pounder, it's terrible. But if you want to catch fish, it's not terrible. <laughs> it's a uh, it's actually a pretty good place to catch fish. And the one thing that's kind of scary, I would say, about that one is there's a lot, lot of dead water at Sabine. It's not like like you go to Murray or somewhere, like you might get go to an area that just doesn't have big ones. And like, you could, you know, just have a bad tournament because you don't catch big ones. But the Sabine, there's a lot of areas that I don't think bass live. <laughs> like literally there's not bass that live there. So it's kind of a tricky place. Like just seeing last time, like it's like a Florida, Florida-esque style feel to it. Like when you get in an area that's got a lot of fish, it's more of like a just sit there and grind it out, like pick every piece of cover apart, you know, fish the, the tides move back and forth so bring some new fish in things like that you get to running around too much or you just pick a the inappropriate area it can be a tough tournament but with that being said i still look forward to it uh, one of my favorite things to do in the fall is actually i have a uh like 15 foot tiller steer john boat okay. and when i'm home in the fall and i don't have uh, a bass boat usually because i sold it you know i uh and that's my favorite thing to do. I go to the rivers around here, rivers where you can't get a bass boat, you can't get up them, and that's what I do. I river fish. I bring me a Zoom Z crawl, a buzz bait, and a spro frog, and I go run the rivers. I just that I that's all I do. Is I I'll fall from like you know August until October. <laughs> I go uh, fish one to two one two foot of water in rivers, getting getting back over logs, getting back way up them and doing that and uh so it's like a style of fishing i like to do but that place is just a little unique because it, it has everywhere is not that good you and you have to make long runs so it's a little scary term as far as like points especially you make long runs things can happen so it, it's a little nerve-wracking tournament but it's a place i look forward to fishing as well well brandon you hit on something that david knows that perked my ears up i'm a river rat uh, not a good river yeah. but i'm a river rat i love i love what you're talking about and david's done a good job of recapping you know the the umph that you've had behind your professional career but i am actually sitting in anderson south carolina right now on lake hartwell uh-huh. um okay and i wanted to talk to you a little bit about where it all started for you i mean you've talked about hartwell I've, i'm in your area now and everywhere i look i see good looking fishing i've not seen any rivers <laughs> yet but tell me a little bit about yep. how important your location was because everywhere I look, I see fishermen, I see fishable water. Um, is this something you've done since the time you grew up? Yeah, I actually, yeah, I always have. I, I actually didn't grow up on Hartwell. I grew up in Greenwood, which is about 45 minutes from Hartwell. I just really started my career living up on Hartwell throughout through Clemson. But it was anyway, the, I think this, the area around Anderson, you know, Greenwood, it's just it's like the perfect area to grow up fishing because there's so many tournaments there's so many different types of fisheries i fished my first tournament on little lake greenwood which is about an hour from where you are now when i was seven with my dad and uh i actually started fishing tournaments by myself when i was 12. i had my boater's license and my mom or dad would take me to the lake uh that in the morning and put me in i'd sign up for the tournament and they'd come pick me up at 3 30 when I got done, my dad liked to fish, but I think he knew that I liked trying to learn it on my own and everything. So I started fishing tournaments by myself in our 18 foot stratus when I was 12. So that's kind of how I got, uh, got my start on it. But our lakes around here are just, you can find a similarity everywhere in the country to somewhere around here. That's what makes it, aside from maybe up north, you know, but that's what makes it a great area to learn and uh, kind of build your skills, I guess you'd say. And I feel like building your skills the way I did it was tough learning. I zeroed in probably half the tournaments I fished when I was 12 until I got uh, it figured out a little bit. But I feel like anything you learn on your own, you're a hundred times better at than learning with somebody teaching you. Yeah, I, I agree with that totally. In regards to, you mentioned Clemson. Is that where you did your college fishing? And was that something that was pretty instrumental in making you want to go farther? 
Yeah, so, yeah, I did. I went to Clemson. I graduated there with wildlife and fisheries biology degree. And uh, I did college fish, but actually college fishing, I'm a little bit older than people realize. I'm 33 now. And uh, college fishing was not... It's not what it is now, I guess. We, we, me and myself and about, I don't right, know, right. five or six other guys started the team at Clemson, actually. And we were more of a club that we hung out, had tournaments on Kiwi and Hartwell on Saturdays, you know, every month and got to hang out with each other and have these little competitive things locally. But there was like one or two national tournaments a year. You could actually go fish against other schools at the time. And we didn't get funding from the school either. So actually, I kind of got my start through the BFLs back then. And, uh, that that's what I in college I didn't do a lot of college fishing but I fished you know the draw trails things like that ABA draw trails BFLs Bassmaster weekend series things like that is kind of where I got my more national competitive start you know gotcha well I know we're sitting but actually now I do assist college fishing is you know I'm actually also now Lander University in Greenwood I'm actually the like assistant coach for the Lander University fishing team in Greenwood. What? Oh, okay, cool. Well, we're down when at, I'm, home. I'm down at Lake Hartwell. <laughs> we're doing the, the right, of course. We're doing the Bowdoin yeah. West Collegiate Championship out of Green Pond Landing this week. So I'm down here working on That's that right. event. And uh, we got 200 we got some boats, Lander guys there 200 boats and obviously, yeah. And obviously the college fishing scene is, has gotten to be a lot. Uh, you like some of the young guys coming out of there are learning more than what you had to learn the hard way or not? Um, yeah, so they definitely, it, it's definitely a jump start just because they've got other guys that are kind of on their level that they fish with and like they can learn more f- from each other. Like they are still learning on their own, but with, you know, w- with somebody else in the boat with them and getting to see places that that's the biggest thing is they're getting to see other lakes than just their local lakes with like through the college tournaments that I didn't really have that opportunity, you know, or I might have one a year that I got to go to where the BFL regional or something, they're getting ahead as far as seeing stuff that most people their age don't get to see without uh, fishing something national like that. that yeah. I think that's the thing that jumped out at me as well. Like you, I'm older, but there was college fishing whenever I was young, but nothing like what we're doing now. And, you know, our college uh-huh. events we stayed in state and we had volunteer boat drivers and that kind of thing, but seeing the rigs mm-hmm. that are rolling into green pond and, and that kind of thing, <laughs> obviously it's really grown leaps and bounds. So and this lake's got to just be loaded with them. I walked around a little bit and I saw 20 pounds just, you know, along the shores <laughs> up shallow still, I guess they were roaming the points or whatever. So I can see where yep. a guy could get good down here and get a hooked on get hooked on fishing for sure because you can pretty much go out and catch something anytime you want, right? Not necessarily a winning bag, but you can always go get bites. You can. That's what I was laughing about with Shane actually at Lake because Lake Lake was pretty bad during practice, and I told Shane because Shane fishes you know Murray and Hartwell and all that a lot too. So man, Shane, you know how much we're spoiled in South Carolina with Hartwell and Murray. And even, and he has Norman and I'm like, getting the fish. Cause yeah, we might not catch 20 pounds all the time, but you always go catch something <laughs> a bad day. Like, man, I only caught 10 today or I only caught 15. And yeah. You might have, you know, nine, 10, 11 pounds, but you catch a bunch of fish always <laughs> on our lakes around here. So we're right. spoiled with how good they are at 12 months of the year too, is what's crazy. Yeah. And I would think that just being able to catch them like that, obviously, any, anytime you can go out, you can refine your technique and, and dial it in more. And obviously South Carolina has cranked out some great anglers, self-included. So it makes sense to me now. This is my first trip down here and I feel like I'm in the promised land of bass. It is. It is. You might not catch 10 pounders like, like you can in other states, but you want to go catch some two to fours. It's pretty good around here. Yeah. Yeah. I would take, I would take three, three, four to five pounders and be tickled versus one ten. So I, I think you guys got it going on down here. <laughs> we do it's definitely definitely pretty good and the heron around here like the heron at heart will make uh that, that's the one thing that makes it a little unique versus other places in the country but also makes it good yeah without a doubt you think that's part of why the the fishery can sustain as many fish and, and like we've watched national events roll through here event after event and everybody just mm-hmm. keeps catching them is that herring the big part of it you think i think it is yeah it keeps the population healthy and and it makes a lot of fish live out 
you know, in no man's land that makes them a little more challenging to catch. So they're not, I know with front looking sonar and everything, they get pressured a little more now, but there's still a lot of fish that it's not like other places you go like Florida where everybody's beating the same spawning bays every time, you know, you always got a heavy portion of the boat fishing the bank, a heavy portion fishing out in the middle in 80, 90 foot of water. So kind of distributes the pressure evenly around the whole lake. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Fish can actually grow old without getting as much pressure. So when they do come to yep, the it's just, it, it's on, ain't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's just, uh, I wouldn't say our lakes are heavily pressured now, but they're evenly pressured versus some other fisheries in the country. Right, right. Well, I appreciate you sharing the background with me. I know David's got a couple more questions, so thanks for that. And uh, mm -hmm. you definitely represent South Carolina well, so congratulations on a great start <laughs> to a great season. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, I only got one more left because I know Brandon's a, a busy guy. But uh, last question <laughs> is, uh, um, I know we started uh, the, uh, the 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 interview with uh, looking at your rookie season on the Elite Series. So, what is the biggest difference between Brandon Cobb from 2019 and the 2023 Brandon Cobb? I think uh, I, I would say the biggest thing, the way I feel fishing now i don't know i don't know how to describe it like technique wise things like that yeah i've probably learned a little bit since then and do some different things but i still still uh, a lot of that's the same but there's really two things i notice now the way i fish that's kind of a little different from then number one then is i uh a lot of times a lot of tournaments i didn't trust my strengths like if we went somewhere and everybody's like, oh, man, they're out in the timber really good. They're doing this. You get, you got to graph them or find them in brush piles. I would go do that just because I thought that's what you had to do. And now, you know, I kind of just trust my strengths. If I want to fish shallow and it seems remotely appropriate for fishing shallow, fishing docks, fishing brim beds, whatever it may be, that's what I do. And I don't doubt my decision like I used to as much then. And with that being said, the other thing I know is it's – uh, there's no way to describe this until you have fished nationally with a lot of eyes on you is I didn't think it would ever bother me. But when you first start out, you kind of feel like you have something to prove or you feel like people are watching. And it's for lack of a better word, it's almost, if you don't do well, it's almost embarrassing. Cause you're like, Oh man, everybody didn't think I could do this and I can't like, and now it looks like I can't. But now I don't care anymore. <laughs> I've done well enough. I've done, I've been doing it long enough that if I have a bad tournament, I have a bad tournament. I don't worry about the failure like I used to. Is, is the best way to describe it. It's, it's hard to explain unless you fished nationally, you know, in a lot of tournaments where, you, where a lot of people are following it. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a different feeling, which I don't have anymore. I think for me, I, I don't. The only way I can really just, just for me, it's just getting old. You start caring less about how others think about you in some way. <laughs> but just that's that's me versus my fishing. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, that that may be it too. I'm a little older now. I guess I've been doing because that's the, that's the one thing. I, I'm not that old, but I've actually been. We were. I was talking about this with I think Ronnie Moore the other day. I'm like not really like the new guy on the pro chat. Like a lot of people still look at me as like the young guy. I'm like, man, I've been doing it longer than a lot of the older guys. I mean, I think this season will be my 11th year fishing professionally. I've yeah. <laughs> been doing it for a while. Not, that might be what it is. I just don't care anymore. I guess what other people think. <laughs> well, getting established has got to make it a little better. I mean, that takes some pressure off for sure. Yeah, that's right. It definitely does. All right. Well, thank you uh, for joining us, Brandon. Like, like I said, I know that you've got uh, some obligations to head out to. So we appreciate you spending some time with us here. Uh, it's going to be interesting how things play out for you at these next few events and, and see how you try to defend being king of the hill for the remainder of the season. So good <laughs> luck on the rest of the season and safe travels. Right, well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I'll be on whenever y'all need me. All right. Sounds Thanks, great. Thanks, Brandon. Thank y'all. All right, there you have it, folks. Your current Elite Series AOI leader at the halfway point, Brandon Cobb. Danny, we've seen that it's not easy to hold on to the lead of the AOI race when there's just like an event or two left at the end of the season. But And we see that, I guess, even throughout the rest of this, I mean, during a regular season, it's just constantly ebbs and flows. There's always constant changes at who's at the top. But are you surprised that Brandon has been able to hold on to the lead, especially just after three? I think he took the lead at Murray. So it's been three events since then that he's held on to this lead. Are you surprised by that uh, so far? No, I mean, what I heard, on the phone there was a, a very 
comfortable, confident angler that was having a ball, you know, and I think that's a big part of having a good, you know, a good season is to be enjoying what you're doing, having confidence in what you're doing. And, you know, he hit on some things there about fishing his strengths and that kind of thing. And man, he just sounds like he's really matured into the role. And I don't know, I think leading the pack suits him well. And I think he's having fun with it. You know, obviously going North, he's going to get someplace a lot different than, than where we've been so far, but, um, and there's something to be said for momentum. You and I've talked about that on several of these and, and the man's on a roll and he's having fun. So I want him to, to keep that going. Yeah. I, I, well, and you know, there's always a bit of, uh, what was it? Some slight hiccups here and there, but I mean, so far when I was just trying to look at how he did this season, you know, um, it looks like it was after the, it was this, this whole role momentum thing kind of started at the end of 2022. Um, cause mm-hmm. he's, he finished his last two events on Oahe with the 32nd and the Mississippi river with the 19th. And it just kind of went from there. Cause, uh, before that, the SLR, uh, St. Lawrence river, he finished 71st, but, but it seems like from those uh, last two events going forward, he just seems to be on a roll with momentum. And obviously there's still a lot of, a lot of fishing still left to be done, but, um, like we've seen lead changes, people constantly, uh, you know, taking the lead and, and whatnot, but again, three, three events after taking the lead and he's still holding it. So it's, it's quite impressive. And like you said, you know, it seems like, uh, he's, he's coming to his own about how, you know, how, of fishing the way he likes to fish and being who he is and, and, and taking that advantage of that. So a lot of uh, wise years for someone who's still relatively young. So, yeah. All right. And yeah, then, we, I mean, I, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> has that kind of, sorry. Okay. I'm cutting in and out a little bit, so I, I lost. I didn't get you off there, but <clears throat> yeah, I think the guys that are that are having fun and and I don't know, man. There was just a certain calmness and coolness about him, and those guys are dangerous. You know, he may go and realize that there's things he could do that he hasn't looked at before too. Now that he's getting comfortable with his, you know, his style and he's got the mojo, he may go up there and find that. Um, well, you know, like his comment, he said, "Well, I show up to a place and they say I need to be doing this. I used to go do that. Now I go do my thing." we may see that he takes his thing up north and and continues to do well. So, you know, I think he's, I think he's got a good shot at this. And one thing you always hear, uh, like Brandon mentioned, is just fishing his strengths. And uh, that's one thing you hear a lot from just when uh, these pro anglers give out advice, because sometimes, especially um, as anglers in general, whether you're young or old, sometimes you like to complicate the situation a lot more than it needs to Mm -hmm. be. And sometimes just, going with what you know and what you do best is probably the best starting point, you know, or if not, if maybe the best approach to doing really well. So, yeah. You know, I don't fish at the level that those guys fish, but that's something that I learned as I competed and fish more is you just kind of figure out who you are as an angler and you do your thing. And, and sometimes it lines up and sometimes it doesn't, but you know, I've had the same kinds of experiences where I've tried to, you know, change it up or do what, you know, follow up on the doc talk. And it yep. doesn't work out, you know, and, and, and I can say shallow and yeah, some events you get hammered because you're, they're just not there. But, um, a guy that's doing what he likes to do in an area, he likes to do it. I, I'm a, you know, I, I feel like that guy's going to, he's got a good opportunity to go on the right strategy. Yeah. Hopefully, um, like I said, it's, it's just, you know, again, you're fishing strengths. It's all about time on the water and just trying to figure things out on your own, but but we'll see how Brandon does with the rest of the season. There's still four events left in the Elite Series calendar, but um, it definitely could set up uh, with the way how things, uh, with the way how he fishes, it could definitely set up that way for him. So, but with that, it's time for Danny and I to make it to our next waypoint. So we'll be right back in a few minutes. Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop convenient place to shop. Whether you're into camping, hunting, or fishing, our expert associates can help you find the gear you need. We carry a huge assortment of quality equipment from the best manufacturers in the country and around the world. We have guns, ammo, rods, and lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmanswarehouse.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse. Shop one of over 60 locations. Whether day or night, I love to tie one on. Every day of the week, I like to tie one on. I don't care who's looking, I always tie one on. Every time I go on the water, I love to tie one on. You may not know this about me, but every once in a while, I've been known to tie one on. Come on, man. Join the Stray King team. All you got to do, tie one on. (laughs) I think I always tie one on.
Welcome back, everyone. This final segment is brought to you by Humminbird. Get up to a $1,000 rebate when you buy any qualifying Helix unit with a Mega Live Transistor through June 14th. And if you already have a Humminbird unit, make sure you get signed up for the Minkota Humminbird Owners Tournament that takes place on Pickwick Lake, June 3rd through the 4th. It's a Big Bass style tournament put on by the folks that run the Big Bass Tour. So if you need to find more information about the rebate or the tournament, make sure you stop at Humminbird.com for more information. All right, just a few results uh, from this past weekend. And since we, I just got done uh, talking about the Big Bass Tour guys running the uh, Humminbird event there, uh, this past weekend, the Big Bass Tour was out on Lake Chickamauga and winning the Big Fish of there with a 0 0.01. So that's a, a hundredth of a pound difference. I'm not even sure if that's an ounce of a water. I mean, yeah, an ounce of water or what, but with a 1006 bank Shaw took the win on Chickamauga, the MLF BFL Hoosier division were, uh, were fishing on Potoka Lake and winning that was 1615 was Chad Walker. The Georgia Bass Trail North division fished on Lake Hartwell and David Steen won that event with 1405. The Mississippi, I'm sorry, the Media Bass Mississippi River Teams Division fished Lake Washington and the team of Sam and Trent Land won that event with 2065. And then giving some of the uh, kayak guys some love here, the Hobie Bass Opens took place on Kentucky Lake and Jim Orr caught 166 inches of fish over two days of fishing there. And the last event I've got on here is the MLF BPT event wrapped up this past weekend on Gunnersville. And lo and behold, for some, no surprise there, Jacob Wheeler took the win there with 54 pounds and 15 ounces. Again, that is their uh, final two days of weight there. So 54-15 by Jacob Wheeler took the win on Gunnersville. And looking forward to this weekend, uh, this Memorial Day weekend, we've got a few events still lined up here. The Extreme Bass Series takes place on Tarpon Lake. The ABA AFT D17 North Carolina Central Division. You guys are fishing on Roanoke River. The Fishers of Men Alabama Northwest Team Division. You guys are fishing Wilson Lake. Uh, the Five Alive Elite Series event takes place on Lake Hartwell. And looks like they might be intruding in on what Danny might be doing. He'll kind of dive into that in a few minutes here. And then the U.S. Angler's Choice Kincaid Division will be fishing on Lincoln Cade. If you want to hear your results or just want me to share your calendar, definitely shoot me the, shoot them over to me at dshong at anglerschannel.com. And for more results, definitely check out the Angler Channel website as well. Um, but as I kind of teased there earlier, and you teased it early, a little bit earlier in the interview with Brandon there, but Danny, you are currently at a special event at Anderson, South Carolina, on the shores of Lake Hartwell. Please share with our listeners what you're up to during the, as of this uh, as of this recording. Okay, I'd be glad to. You know, when uh, Angler's Channel reached out about bringing me on board, I told him I would love to do it, but I had a uh, basically a commitment that's been planned for a while. Um, I am actually on vacation, and I spend my vacations doing other fishing jobs. So <laughs> I am actually the I am the interim director for uh, tournament director for the boat us collegiate bass fishing championship uh, kyle curry normally holds that position and he and his wife just welcomed a new baby boy uh, it was no surprise we knew it was going to happen so they had me on standby uh, i don't know if i've hit on it with you or not but a decade or so ago i was involved in this i've ran a lot of these collegiate events from national championships to regional events and uh, when they needed somebody to fill in, they wanted to find somebody that, you know, could step into the role and do it. Uh, I've stayed in close with all my friends at the Association of Collegiate Anglers uh, um, since the time I worked there. So it was a natural fit. Uh, me and Miss Holly loaded up. We headed down here on Sunday and we have been, you know, setting trailers, setting bump tubs, tanks, banners, flags. Uh, our friend Neil Paul at Visit Anderson, South Carolina and Green Pond Landing has been an awesome host. The facility is amazing. And, you know, normally in a collegiate championship on a Tuesday night of event week, there's no chance of having an opportunity to talk, right? We work. It's just mm -hmm. that much goes into these productions. And due to the quality of the facilities and, and Neil and his team, man, they've made it, I wouldn't say easy. Our team is good. Our team is big and everybody knows what they need to do. 
but it's Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, and I had time to talk, right? So that's a mm -hmm. testament to what they're doing here. And um, you mentioned an event going on on Hartwell this weekend. That'll be on. I'm thinking we've done 2006 was the first one. So this is the 17th-ish event, and they've always used this weekend. And one of the reasons is, is that they can do the tournament during the week heading into a long weekend, giving the anglers more time to travel. And mm -hmm. we don't fish on the, you know, we, we wouldn't do a tournament on uh, because of, you know, boat traffic and all the things that are going on that weekend. So we'll have uh, 400 collegiate anglers competing on Thursday and Friday. And uh, they're competing for, I think, somewhere between 30 and $40,000 in cash and prizes. No entry fee event. Um, we feed them every event or every meal of the tournament. Last night, we bagged up snack packs and uh, goodie bags that probably weighed 10 pounds. And every angler gets food, drinks, ice, um, fed before, fed after. It's just an awesome experience for collegiate anglers. And I just, I don't know. I'll, I'll, it's the kind of just matters to me. So I would more than, be more than happy to take a vacation to go do more work. How have you seen the participation levels change since from when you first got into it till now? Oh, I guess it depends on how far back we want to say when I first got in it, because, you know, I, I graduated, I was involved in college fishing as a club president in 2001 through 2003. And at that level, you know, it was volunteer boat drivers. Uh, the, the Indiana Bass Federation, in our case, was critical in making it happen. And it was probably more similar to what high school fishing is now, um, just at a much smaller scale. Now, if you flash forward to a decade ago when I was running the collegiate events for the Association of Collegiate Anglers, um, it had moved by leaps and bounds, you know, by the by the 2013 area. Um, and now it's it's just unreal. You know, I'm watching the boats get put in and I'm seeing universities that are supporting these anglers in the terms of, you know, wrap trucks, rack, wrap boats, travel stipends. Um, it's just amazing, you know, and, and to see service crews here working on things and taking care of these young anglers and all that, it's just, a person has to see the production to understand how much they're doing for these young anglers. And that's, that's the thing in terms of participation, uh, this field's capped, you, you know, this field capped. there are certain qualification criteria to determine how many boats you could send, um, as an organization organization when you think about being and all the things that we're doing um it's not come one come all they have to earn their spot but yeah i mean there's 200 boats here the teams are way more advanced the equipment's more advanced the bags that the guys weigh in i mean these guys are these guys are serious you know brandon Mind when he was doing college fishing it was college aged guys that like to fish mm -hmm. now it is i don't know uh, you know the when you see the setup and you see the infrastructure and all the resources put behind it it's like a professional event with younger anglers, you know, and that's, that's a big thing. I think that the, the, the collegiate fishing, the guys that are embracing it and really behind it, um, they're getting a big leg up on the competition. You know, they're, they're seeing more places, they're experiencing more, they're dealing with cameras, they're dealing with crowds, they're dealing with pressure on their spots. And it, we are truly making more talented anglers out of this. I, I firmly believe that. Now, is this a, it's a two-day event, right? Am I correct with that? It is. It is. Tomorrow, uh, they've been practicing. They had practice Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. They got to be off the water tomorrow by noon. And then we do a banquet, a sponsor reception and banquet tomorrow evening. And they will compete Thursday and Friday, eight hours, uh, full field both days, invert the field on day two. So everybody gets equal fishing time and, and you know, there's not a, a huge boat draw advantage one way or the other. And, uh, you know, I've seen teams from as far away as up in your area. Mm -hmm. Obviously I've seen a Clemson Tigers boat or two running around. Uh, they're, they're from everywhere. It, it, that's the cool thing. You know, we had a, a talk with a student yesterday that had came from Winona, Wyona university in Minnesota, I believe yep. drove all, drove all the way down here, um, got to the parking lot and had a busted leaf spring. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and the service crews made a house call to the hotel, helped the angler diagnose the problem, source the right parts. They got the trailer repaired, 
And while one of them was working on the trailer, the student mentioned they were having a misfire in the engine and they went ahead and knocked that out too. And those anglers, having come from your neck of the woods, driving all the way down here, um, they got to go practice today with a, a fixed trailer and a sound running motor. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think that's awesome. You that know, is awesome. I, I can't think of, I can't think of anywhere else that kind of story would unfold other than with the association of collegiate anglers. You know, we've got no membership fees, no entry fees. It's truly all about the students. And that's, that's why I'm and I'm down just, I don't know, man, it's just, it just speaks history if it were not for college fishing. And so I see it as a way to give back and stay close to it. It makes me feel young and it, it honestly, it, it makes me happy for our sport. So based on what you've heard from Doc Talk, uh, from the guys, at least from the one or two days so far that you've been able to hear about uh, with uh, practice, what's the winning weight probably going to be for this uh, two-day event? Man, I haven't heard enough to, to speculate on the winning weight, but I've got 200 teams that can weigh five bass. From what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, I would be shocked if we run any fewer than 800 bass across the scale each day. I mean, okay. this place has got them. And as far as what they weigh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I got to tell you a funny story. I mentioned seeing some. I walked down on the takeoff dock, and I think this is okay for me to discuss because it's off limits, right? <laughs> um, I, I, I walked down to the takeoff dock, David, and the, the water's clearer than I'm used to. And I walked down, I looked over the dock, just kind of checking it out. I was like, wow, I can see some of those rocks down there on that point. I walked out, I talked to Holly for a minute, a little farther on the dock. I came back towards shore and I looked down to the same spot and I thought my eyes were deceiving me. There were a few bass sitting there that were well over 24 inches and I'm talking thick. I mean, <laughs> big fish. And, I, and they're in like two and a half foot of water just sitting by this rock. And while I'm standing there watching them, three more swim up. So I'm looking at five fish in less than two feet of water. Probably, I would guess it was well over a 20 pound sack. Um, okay. Now, obviously, you're not going to throw it in there until five, but that, I don't know if Heron had came through and moved up what, but the beautiful bright green, I can see their lateral lines when they turn, the water looks so good. And seeing that, it just, I'd love to be out there fishing with them for sure. Now, have you been, have you been on, you know, fishing wise uh, on Hartwell at all or no? No, no. Dave, I've got to spend time on some of the best lakes in the country, and I never wet a line. I, I'm okay. an event guy, and uh, <laughs> I show up. I, I show up, and I, I see things. I get to touch a lot of fish, but I don't get to catch any. Okay. And this this event will be no different. I won't get to catch any unless they fall out of the bag on the stage. Then I'll help them snatch them up, right? But other than yeah. that, I will I will be doing no catching. But uh, there's going to be 400 college anglers here this week that will be doing some catching for us, I believe. I would definitely want to, we'll keep an eye out for, um, what was it, how things play out there. I know I, uh, I, I think we do get the press releases for the results for that, um, for the ACA collegiate event there. So hopefully we'll see how things got, uh, play out, how big the bags are and how many fish do end up. I mean, 800 bass, it's a, it's a good amount of, uh, amount of fish, especially for, you know, we know Lake Hartwell has been pumping them out pretty well too. So, um, 800 might be a good number. It might be a low number with how uh, Lake Hartwell was able to sustain them. So, but definitely looking forward to how we things play out guy, Yeah, you figure 200 teams have bass limit. There's a thousand that, yeah. that are eligible to be brought to the scales each day. And I'm saying they, they should be able to achieve 80% of the goal. And that's just okay. a gut. I could, I could be wrong, but the weather's right. There's a little storm sitting over off the East Coast that's pushing some cloud cover through here. Okay. Nice breeze. I mean, it feels fishy out there. And, uh, yeah, I look for him to catch him for sure. And as far as people that are interested in following along or whatever, um, you can go to collegiatebasschampionship.com. They'll be streaming the way in both days. Okay. You can see us there. Uh, I'll be the guy throwing them on the scales. And, um, as far as press releases go, uh, that falls in my wheelhouse too. So I will promise <laughs> you that you'll get them. And being that you're the fastest poster on the internet, I would be very disappointed in you, David, if they don't make it to the website. Just, just get it. All you got to do is make sure you get them over to me. That's it. <laughs> That's right. I, I've got an email. I got a distribution list. I'm not sure if you're on it. I'll be delivering these to you personally. I will be right. banging them out myself after weighing the fish. And uh, I hope that you'll get them up for everybody. And I hope that people will take a look and see what we're doing here. And oh, you and I have talked about this before, but I think out of the cliche of growing the sport, these programs are some of the only ones that have done it. At the professional level, we, we divvy up the same pie. 
Yeah. Uh, at the collegiate and high school level, we're bringing people to the table. And once they sit down at the table and get a taste of it, man, they're hooked for life. And I think that is why I'm here uh, rather than somewhere with my feet up on vacation. Okay. Well, speaking of vacation, because I know it's a holiday weekend coming up, besides this event, because you're quote unquote on vacation, any anything else you have planned for this upcoming weekend with it being a holiday weekend? No, I want to get through this, have a good, clean event, good, safe event. And then me and the missus will be northbound on Saturday. And I'm going to guess on Sunday, I will be crashed and wiped out. <laughs> and now actually on my at home on Sunday, we're having a frog and secret lures only tournament on my local water. And okay. I have no intentions. I have no intentions of fishing. So that tells you that I'll probably be out of gas because it's, it's 1.2 <laughs> miles from the river. Or one, the river ramp is 1.2 miles from the house. I'm a frog fishing junkie, and I know a thing or two about secret lures and how to use them on the Ohio River. And I will probably be a no-show. I might go down and shake the winner's hand, but I don't think I'll be fishing this weekend. <laughs> uh, well, for those that are playing to fish, uh, I know that what was it? Because there's what there's it's a holiday weekend, like I mentioned. Uh, depending where you're at, possibly good weather as well. And people are out of school and out of work, but just with the expected amount of traffic out there, just make sure that whether you're out there for fun, you know, fishing in a tournament or whatnot, just make sure that you keep your eyes and ears open at all times and make sure that you've got your PFD bulked up, whether you've got the big motor on or if, if you're in a situation where things are, you know, you feel a little bit unsafe because the last thing we want to have happen is someone um, loses a life or gets caught in a bad situation due to all the expected uh, increase in boat traffic. So definitely be safe out there this weekend. I know I don't have any fishing plans. If I do, uh, it might be just a quick hour of shore banging or something like that because I've got a family event that's happening this weekend. So no planned fishing for me, but um, but yeah, definitely Danny, safe travels. Hopefully your event there goes off uh, spectacular and uh, definitely Thank I'll try you. to keep everything. Yes. No, I was just saying thanks for the thanks for the well wishes on on the event. I'll get it on and you know I'm sure you'll get it up there, and we'll just keep following this with all the other great bass fishing stuff we're putting up there. Yep. All right, and then with that, uh, it's time for Danny and I to wrap this one up and put it back on the trailer. Again, as always, thank you to all our listeners for your support. Thank you to the sponsors and partners that help make the podcast happen. Thank you to all those that have served or continue to serve for because of you guys out there. That's your sacrifice that lets everyone here fish and that allows Danny and I to talk about fishing as well. So be safe. Enjoy the holiday weekend. And with that, for Danny, we will catch you all on our next episode. Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast. Brought to you by Under Armour Fish, Costa Sunglasses, Pro Charging Systems, X-Zone Lures, and Trickstep. Visit anglerschannel.com, your number one bass fishing tournament resource.